Um, I want to just say, man, what a powerful morning we've already had. That video, the song, um, and as you saw through the video and the song that we just sang, we're kicking off a a brand new series in the book of Exodus, and uh, this series is going to take us all the way through February, through March, up until Easter. And some of you may be thinking, you know, Brian, with all the challenges that I'm dealing with, right now. Why would we spend the next two months diving into this Old Testament book that was written thousands and thousands of years ago? You know, how in the world could this possibly be relevant to what I'm facing today? Well, here's the great news. It turns out that this story that we're going to be looking at is extremely relevant to the issues and topics that we face every single day. For example, in the book of, of, of Exodus, we see a man named Moses who deals with tragic circumstances, he deals with sin, he deals with trials, he deals with fear, he deals with oppression, he deals with doubt, feelings of of being unworthy, feelings that he's he's actually been forgotten by God. And these are the same things that we struggle with every single day. In the story, we see see a nation that, that is called God's very own people, the nation of Israel, that is entrapped in slavery and being oppressed by a foreign power, Egypt, and we see God draw them out of slavery so He can draw them into the promised land. And we can relate to that, can't we? Because today we are God's children, and yet we are foreigners in a land that pushes against God at every turn, and we have this powerful enemy that that wants to enslave us in sin and hold us in bondage so that we'll miss out on all that God has for us as His children. And yet, God's desire is to draw us out of those things and draw us into His plans and the purposes that He really has for, for our lives. God wants to draw us out of sin and bondage and draw us towards Jesus where we will find freedom and life and rest for our souls. One day, He will draw us out, draw His children out of this world, and He will deliver us. He'll draw us into the promised land that He's prepared for us called heaven. So this is not just a story of how God dealt with his children thousands of years ago, but it's a foreshadowing of how God wants to deal with his children today. And here's the beautiful thing, it all points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. Now, you may be here today and uh, you're a guest and you're checking things out and I want to welcome you to Westridge. We're so glad that you're here today. You may be here and, and, and you're somebody who's curious about Jesus and about Christianity and, and you have a lot of questions about God and the Bible and you thought this might be a good place to, you know, get some of those questions answered and we're really glad that you're here today as well. It's a good place for you to do that. Some of you, uh, you may be a, a new believer. You just in the past week or past few months just trusted Christ to be your Savior and so maybe the book of Exodus and Moses is all new to you. Well, we're so glad that we're getting ready to dive into this today. And then a lot of you, I just I know you're, you're lifetime time followers of Jesus. And so some of this will be a refresher. My prayer is that you're going to learn something new today that's really going to impact your life. Wherever you find yourself, here's what you're going to discover in this story, okay? You're going to, dis- you're, you're going to discover a God who can provide for you at every corner at every, every one of your needs. You're going you're gonna to discover a God who never leaves us or abandons us in the midst of, of, the, of the trials that we go through. You're going to find a God who is able to deliver us from our enemies. You're going to see a God who always keeps his promises. You're going to find a God who is always working behind the scenes on our behalf, even when we can't Maybe, maybe see his hand or even feel his presence. He's a God who not only sees everything that you're dealing with, but he knows your heart and he knows your struggles and he cares deeply about the pain that you're going through. 
And he longs to draw you out of those things so that he can draw you to himself. Now, you may have noticed if uh, you have a Bible in your lap or, or if you're familiar with the book, that there are 40 chapters in the book of Exodus, which means that we could spend the next 40 plus weeks going through this story. But we're not going to do that. We're going to spend eight weeks and we're going to hit some of the highlights and some of the major themes. So here's what I would encourage you to do, okay, as we go into this study. I want to encourage you not to miss a Sunday, okay? You're already off to a good start. You're here, so we're, we're glad about that. But I also know, because I'm a dad and I've got, I have kids and, and all that, I know baseball season, little league travel, it's all right around the corner, okay? It's coming and we're getting into it. My son's here today. He just played his first game yesterday, college baseball, so it's good to have him in the house. But we know that softball season's here. We know lacrosse season is starting up. We're in the middle of basketball and cheerleading and dance and wrestling and full contact travel, hula hoop. We're into all of it, right, Okay. Because there's a travel thing for everything, all right? But, but I want you to make it a priority for you and your family to be in church, okay? Also, I want to encourage you to take these next eight weeks and to dive into the book of Exodus yourself. If you just read five chapters a week, you're going to be on track to finish up the book as we wrap this, up the series and as we prepare our hearts for, for Easter. And then I want to encourage you to bring a friend, okay? You, you're, you know somebody who could benefit from what God is, wants to teach us out of the study. And, and I want to encourage you to pray for that friend and bring them with you on Sunday morning. Now, before we dive in, brand new series, I want us to bow our heads and I want us to pray together, okay? Father, we're so thankful for the worship. We're so thankful for the music and the songs that we've sang today, for the folks who have been up here ministering to us, the folks who have been in the, in the baptistry who are saying to the world that they are followers of Jesus. We're so thankful for this story written so many years ago. Lord, it, it is the history of, of, of the people of Israel. And yet today, Father, we are so thankful that we are grafted into the story and that, Lord, what was their story years ago is our story today. And we're so thankful for Jesus, Lord, who wants to draw us out of the things that we deal with so he can draw us into, Lord, the, the amazing plans and purposes you have for our, our lives, including a home in heaven. We're so grateful for that. You're preparing that for us. Be with us as we study. Open up our hearts and our minds and our eyes to what you have to teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know you just watched this awesome video that did a great job of telling the whole story of Exodus from beginning to end, but I want to follow up, if I could, with a little backstory that the video did not capture. Now, in the book of Genesis, as you heard earlier, God promises to build a nation from one man's family, a man by the name of Abraham. And Abraham has a son named Isaac, who has a son named Jacob, who has a son named Joseph. Actually, Jacob had 12 sons. And out of this family, a nation called Israel is born. Now, when the story's taken place, the area that Abraham's family lived in was called Canaan, okay? Today, that same place is called the Promised Land. It's a big portion of Israel. And the book of Genesis ends with a famine in the land of Canaan, all right? And the most prominent figure in the end of the book of Genesis is a guy by the name of Joseph, one of Jacob's son. And when we get to the end of Genesis and even into the very, very beginning of, 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 of uh, Exodus, Joseph's father Jacob and Joseph's brothers are heading into Egypt to find food. Now, if you're new to the story in Genesis, Joseph was mistreated by his brothers, okay, because he was dad's favorite. He was thrown into a pit and left for dead. He was discovered by some travelers. They sold him into slavery. A guy named Potiphar 
got him into his house. Potiphar's wife accused him of doing some of wrongdoing, trying to come on to her, and it never happened. But he got thrown into an Egyptian dungeon for about two years. And eventually he finds favor with Pharaoh and becomes the prime minister of the most powerful nation in the ancient world. And the cool thing about the story is that Pharaoh actually put him in charge of food in Egypt. And it's in Egypt that Jacob, Joseph's dad, and his brothers discover that their little brother is not only still alive, but he's actually running the place. But rather than punishing his brothers, okay, for the, for the terrible thing they did to him, you know, mistreating him, Joseph shows them grace, he forgives them, he invites his family to join him in Egypt where they are given plenty of food, Pharaoh grants them a piece of land where they can raise their crops and they can raise their flocks. Now, that's important for you to know because if you're going to understand and appreciate the Exodus, okay, which means to draw out, you need to understand how the Jewish people got there in the first place. Now, for about 71 years, okay, Joseph and his family enjoyed life in Egypt. Life was sweet. It was prosperous. I mean, the family grew quickly in number, and then one day everything changes because at the age of 110, Joseph dies, and the Bible tells us he's buried in a coffin somewhere in Egypt. And so now with no Joseph around to represent his family and his people, the Egyptians' attitude towards the Israelites begins to change. Let's see what happens in, in, uh, in um, Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of, of Israel are too many and are too mighty for us. Now, the new Pharaoh, he didn't know who Joseph was, and he didn't care about the previous arrangement that the old Pharaoh had made with Joseph and his family. And he despised the fact that the Israelites were growing in number. He felt threatened by them, all right? He was power hungry. So look what he does in verse 10. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens, and they they built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses, But the more they oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Imagine this for a moment. One day... Life is sweet, life is easy, life is prosperous, things are rolling along, you are enjoying your family, everything's growing, and then the next day, you're slaves, all right? You're you're being whipped and literally worked to death, and things begin to go from bad to worse quickly for you. Because when the Pharaoh sees that the slavery wasn't, wasn't working, it wasn't stopping the Jewish population from growing, he then takes a next step. He makes it illegal for Hebrew women to have male babies. Exodus one twenty two. Then the Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, the Nile River, but you shall let every daughter live. Now imagine for a moment being a, a, a Jewish mother. And imagine the hopelessness of knowing, and you don't know if you're having a boy or, or, or a girl, but, but just this hopeless of knowing that, that the child you have been carrying is going to be killed as soon as it's born if it's a little baby boy. 
I mean, this is a terrible, tragic, hopeless situation. Can you imagine the deep pain and the heartaches that these parents had to have been feeling? And imagine the questions that they must have been asking during that time. I mean, God, do you, do you see this? We are supposed to be your people. Do you, do you see what's happening here? Do, do you know? Do you know what's going on here? Do you even, do you even care? Now listen, there's no one in this room that's ever been in a scenario quite like this one. But listen, we, we know. Most of us know what it feels like to be in a hopeless situation. Most of us know what, what, it, what, it, what it's like to face situations where we begin to ask questions about God's goodness and, and, and His ability to, to, to be trusted. And, and we don't want to do that, but, but we do. Let's be honest. We, we, we wonder whether... He sees what we're going through, and, and He knows the pain that we're actually in. And we ask ourselves the question, God, do you actually care about me? Do you see? Do you know? And do you actually care? Now, back in World War II, the time of the Holocaust in Germany, there were over six million Jewish people that died at the hands of, of Nazi Germany. And there's a story about uh, a young Jew- Jewish woman named Corrie Ten Boom. And some of you have heard the story before. Many of you have not. But the Nazis arrested the entire Ten Boom family, the Jewish family. Um, they arrested them on February 28th, 1944 at around 1230 with the help of a, of a Dutch informant. And they were sent to a prison where Corrie Ten Boom's father died 10 days after his capture, uh, her, his, her sister Nolly, her brother Willem, and nephew or, or Peter were all released. And, and later, Corey and her sister Betsy were sent to a political concentration camp, both in the Netherlands. And then finally, they were moved, they were moved to this notorious Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany on December 16, 1944. And it was there where Corey Tenboom's sister Betsy died. But before she died, Corey Tenboom writes that Betsy said this. She said, There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And that, that's good. And, and the story goes on that Corey was released on, on New Year's Eve, in December 1944. And there was a movie that came out about her life called The Hiding Place. And in, in the movie, Corey Tenboom narr- narrates the section on her release from camp, saying that later she had learned that that her release had been a clerical, a clerical error. And the women prisoners her age that were in the camp at the same time she was, they were killed the following week. And out of her horrendous ordeal and being in near death at this Nazi prison camp, I want you to listen to a few things that she wrote. She wrote, God does not have problems, only plans. She wrote, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And then she says, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. No, no, you sit still and you trust the engineer. And some of you may be here today and, and you're, in a, you're facing a hopeless situation and you have a lot of questions about God's character and about God's love and about God's goodness. And what do you do? What do you do when, when hope seems lost? Here's what you do. You trust your God. You, you trust your unknown future to a known God. You trust that God's working behind the scenes on your behalf, even when you can't see Him. You trust that His Word says that, that He's not left you, that He's not abandoned you. 
that he's not turned his back on you. You, you, when, when you're in a hopeless state, you don't trust your own strength. You don't trust your, your own ingenuity. You don't trust your own smarts and wisdom. No, no, no. You cry out to God and you put your total trust in him alone. You anchor your faith in him. I love what Beth Morris says. She says, faith is not believing in my own unshakable belief. Faith is believing an unshakable God. The Israelites are in a hopeless situation and their faith is being shaken. And Pharaoh puts slave masters over them and brutalizes them with ruthless hard work. And, and this wasn't just for a few years or, or, or a few hundred years. This was, if you look in, 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 in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, God actually tells Abraham when he, when he calls him to lead this nation that one day the Israelites would be afflicted in a foreign land for 400 years. 400 years. Imagine being in slavery for 400 years, being under this kind of oppression. Now, what do the Israelites do? Well, Exodus 2, look at verse 25, 23. It says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard the groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And the Bible says that God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God saw and God knew. God had made a, a covenant relationship with, with these people. And when they cried out, the Bible says his, their, their cries went up to him. He heard the cries and he saw and he knew their afflictions and he remembered his promises to them. Listen, even though this looked like a, a, a hopeless situation, behind the scenes, God was actually orchestrating a plan to rescue them. And you may not feel it today. You may not feel it this morning. You may not see it at the moment. You may have moments where you doubt it. You may question it. But listen, God is intimately involved in the lives of his children. He has made a covenant with us. He hears our cries. They go up to him. He sees us. He knows us. And he's concerned. And he's involved both providentially and specifically. You say, what does that look like? Well, providentially, God is involved in all the affairs of the world. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 45 tells us, that he causes the sun to rise on the evil and good, and he sends the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. But he's also very specifically involved in the lives of his children. And in the upcoming weeks, we're going to see how God physically leads the Israelites out of Egypt with a cloud by day and a, and a pillar of fire by night. And we're going to see how he provides for them all the bread, the manna that they could eat in the morning and all the quail that they could, they could eat at night. Because God is providentially and he's specifically involved in our world and our, in our lives. Now let's go back to the story for a moment. Here the Israelites are, they're, they're crying out to God, they're begging him to rescue them. And yet little did they know that 40 years before they cried out to God, an Israelite woman had become pregnant with a baby boy. She hides the boy away for three months, okay? And when she can't hide him any longer... She makes a basket for him out of papyrus and, and she places him in the reeds in the Nile River and she pushes him down, downstream. And Pharaoh's daughter is out one day and she finds the baby floating in the basket and she decides to keep him. Now listen to this, this is cool. She actually hires Moses' mother to be his nanny and she doesn't know that this baby actually belongs to her. And in verse 9 of chapter 2, it says, And when Pharaoh's daughter said to her, 
take this child away and nurse him for me, I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him up out of the water. The name Moses literally means to draw out. I mean, listen, God sees and God knows. God is working behind the scenes. If you don't think God is specifically involved in the details of your lives, this story right here shows a different, a different God than you may, you may think. While the people of Israel are, are enduring hard slavery and all the male Jewish babies are being murdered, a little Jewish boy named Moses is being raised in Pharaoh's palace. And he's learning leadership. He's learning about running a nation. He's watching how a leader handles adversity, probably the good and the bad and the ugly. And and he's being trained for an exodus, a time of departure. And God is raising up a young man whose name literally means to draw out so he can draw out the Israelites out of their hopelessness and their suffering and bring them, draw them into his promise and his freedom that he offers to these people into the promised land. The three strong truths that I want to leave you with here today as you leave. Number one, hard times don't remove God's promises. At the end of Exodus 2, it says that God heard the groaning of the Israelites and he remembered the covenant he had made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. When God makes a promise, he doesn't forget it. And you may forget his promises. The whole world may forget God's promises, but he never forgets them and he never removes them. I love what Chuck Swindoll says. He says, in this era of decadence and moral decay at a time when our nation's capital reels with scandal and ripped with partisan politicians, don't think for a moment that God has taken a vacation or misplaced his promises. He hasn't fallen asleep at the switch. He doesn't need CNN to keep up with the latest developments at the proper time, at the time determined before the foundation of the world, he will send forth his son again, the mighty king of Israel, the mighty king of kings, will return to deliver his blood-brought people. He will return with justice. The earth may melt and the stars may fall from the heavens, but the living God will not forget what he has promised. Hard times. Hard times. They don't remove his promises. You may feel like you've forgotten them or you don't know them, but he knows them. And he's faithful to keep them. Number two, harsh treatment doesn't escape God's attention. Exodus 3, 7, it says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. God saw it, and God knew. And he cared. Do you ever think that somehow the things that you go through, the trials that you're facing, the the tests, that somehow all of it just kind of escapes God's attention? You see, when we believe that somehow God doesn't care or that that he is unaware of what's going on, we're actually buying into the lies of of, of the enemy of this world, our own enemy. God is always aware and he cares very deeply. And as we're gonna see over the next few weeks, God will do whatever it takes to rescue his children. He will go to extreme measures, even if it means he has to split an ocean right down the middle so his people can walk on dry land. And today you may feel like God's not paying attention to you. Listen, he sees you. His deliverance might not come 
on your timetable or in the way that you've ordered it. But when it comes, listen, it will come just the way he wants it to and it will arrive at the best time because he knows, he knows what he's doing. And because he's made a covenant with his children, he's made a covenant with you, he will never abandon his own. Third thing, heavy test, don't overshadow God's concerns. Regardless of, the, of, of what you may be going through today, I want you to know it never overshadows God's concerns. He sees and he knows and he's deeply concerned. And you may be in the middle of a, of, of a tough stretch of road right now and you're trying to look ahead and, and all you can see is darkness. There, there's not a light at the end of your tunnel. And you may be asking the question that people all over the world are asking this morning. Where are you, God? Where is God can I tell you, he is, he is right beside you. He is right with you. He has never left. He has never taken his eye off of you, even for one second. He is present in dealing with those who are crying out for his, to his name. He sees all of his children who are being persecuted all over the world in places like, like China this morning and Iran and, and, and places like Cuba. And he, and he sees it and he knows it and he cares. He's at work. He's at work this morning in places where little children are dying of AIDS and malaria, places like little Burkina Faso where we work. He's up in the mountains with our brothers and sisters in in Guatemala and the two villages that we work in and in Nicaragua where our high school students are getting ready to go. And he's with them, people who are just looking today for just some food to feed their kids. He's with them. He's with every person in this room that has a child that's going through a tough time. He's with every person that may have lost a child at some point. He sees and he knows. He's with every man, he's with every woman who has maybe been abandoned by a spouse. He sees and he knows. He knows when you're lonely, he sees you. He knows when you feel like everybody's left you and abandoned you and he knows about that. He not only sees, but he knows when you're looking ahead and you can't see what God's doing. You can't see his purposes and you can't put your finger on the plan. Regardless of your story, He's not missed one thing. I'm just wrecked up here this morning. Man. He's not missed one thing that's happened in your life. He's never ceased caring for you. He's never stopped thinking about you. He's never stopped loving you. with a passion that's way beyond your comprehension. <laughs> and you may think he's left you. You may, you, may, you may think he's left the scene, but you can always trust that he's working either right in front of your eyes or he's been working behind the scenes for years 
and he has your good in mind. And in Psalm chapter 46, verse 1, David writes, God is our refuge and our strength, the helper who is always found in times of trouble. And the challenge for many of you right now is just to not lose hope, to not get angry, to not get bitter. I love what Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, writes. He says, it doesn't matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or whether it presses you nearer to his heart. When I look at the story, after years of slavery, the people of Israel, they're, they're crying out to God and God answers them. And they had to trust that God was faithful to his promises, that he had a plan, that he would, he would deliver them. And that's what we have to do today. God sees and he knows and he cares and he's concerned. Here's how I want to end our service today. I know in the midst of everything I just said, that some of you are resonating deeply with even some of the emotion that I'm feeling up here today. And you're wondering, God, do you see? Do you know? You have a lot of questions. And I want to pray for you this morning. And I just want to ask you to take a moment and be bold because here's, you're, in a, you're in a good place. This is a, this is a good family to be part of here today. You're, you're going to be loved well. But we want to pray for you. And would you just, if, if you're just needing prayer and you just, it, you're just resonating there, would you just boldly stand right now to your feet all over the auditorium? I'm not going to have any, you do anything else, but, but we want to pray for you right now. I want you just to stand. Just. It doesn't matter if people are asking why you're standing. That doesn't matter. God sees, he knows. He knows what's been going on. Would everybody just bow their head? And and for those of you who have somebody standing near you, would you just reach out a hand to them? You don't need to touch them. Just reach out a hand to them. Father, we thank you that you see and you know and you care. And sometimes you're working right in front of us. We can see it. But so often, you're behind the scenes. Even before we ever cry out to you, Lord, you're doing things. And you've been doing things for our good, for your glory. Because you care about us. You have a plan and purpose for our lives. And I pray for every person that's standing that you will minister to them today in a powerful way, that you'll remind them that you are faithful to your promises. Even if we don't know what they are, Lord, you, 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 you're faithful to everything you've said in your word. Harsh treatment that doesn't escape you. Hard times doesn't overshadow Jesus and all that he has for us. So be with every person here today who's struggling, who just needs to know that you are with them right now and that they have a family that they're part of that deeply cares about them and is praying for them today. Thank you. With heads still bowed, would you just thank you all for so much for standing and for giving me the, the honor of praying for you. And you can sit down if you would. Now, I, I want to just ask keep your head bowed because there may be some of you here today, you walked in here today in slavery 
You resonate with these people in, in, in Israel. You don't even know it, but you've been in bondage to sin and slavery to the enemy of this world, and yet God the Father, behind the scenes, had a plan. He didn't bring Moses back. He brought Jesus. And Jesus came with a rescue plan to draw you out of all that you're dealing with, to forgive you of your sin, to rescue you from the bondage you're dealing with, to pull you out of the slavery of yourself and this world and to give you new life, to breathe forgiveness and a new start into you, to give you a fresh hope and to one day draw you out of this place and draw you into heaven. Oh, what a beautiful thing. If you've never said yes to Jesus and his rescue plan, I want to ask you to do that today. Would you pray with me right now, Father, and just say, Father, thank you that before I even entered this world, you had a plan to rescue me from my sin and from my hopelessness and from the situation that I'm in right now, being in bondage and slavery to sin. And because of Jesus, who was your behind-the-scenes rescue plan, I received that. I received that rescue today. I put all of my hope and all my faith and all my trust in Jesus. Lord, out of your grace, you've offered something to me I don't deserve, and I, but I receive it today. And I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. And I thank you for your forgiveness. And I thank you, Lord, for drawing me out so you could draw me in to new life. Purpose and a plan for my life. And one day, one day, Lord, you're going to draw me out of this world and into heaven. Thank you for that. If you just prayed that with me, I want you to get your Get Connected card out. Please do this. It's so important. Fill it out. Take it to the Help Center. And better yet, if you want to bring it up here, I'll be up here. I think Paul Richardson will be up here. We'd love to just grab that card from you and welcome you into God's family. Lord, thank you for a a phenomenal day, for helping this pastor get through his emotions. Thank you for loving us so much. Oh, and Lord, thank you for Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen.